Blog Talk Radio. Don't hold nothing back. This is it. Fight! Let's go! Championship football. Championship football. Try to show these boys how we really get down, man. 16 weeks. Let's go! Thousands of hits, catches, tackles, kicks, passes, and blocks. A lifetime's worth of blood and sweat. All poured into a 60-minute, bone-crushing, adrenaline-fueled battle of bodies. Welcome to Go for the Two. Go for the Two. With Yahoo Sports Radio college football analyst Joe Lisi. And former Georgia Bulldogs wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey Allen. Right. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. Huddle up. Here's Joe and Corey. Uh, it is great to be back on the air again. It's just that time. Spring ball is just ending, and we're in that long off-season of college football. But we have a great, great 2016 season ahead of us. A lot to talk about in today's show. Corey will be joining us in just a few minutes, but some news and notes around the league. We had a great show last week. Corey and I touched on three marquee battles, week number one of the college football season. Touched on North Carolina and Georgia. We touched on USC and Alabama, and we also touched on LSU and Wisconsin. Three big battles. We gave our take on it. That's up on the website at gothrothechew.com. It's also on Tune in radio, so check out our channel on there as well. But North Carolina did name Mitch Trubisky as its starting quarterback. No surprise there. Trubisky last year filling in for Marquise Williams in limited duty. Had a great, great statistical season, completing 85% of his passes, 555 passing yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. But he's going to have big shoes to fill in Marquise Williams, who accounted for 37 total touchdowns in the 2015 season, 24 passing, 13 rushing touchdowns. But that's who Larry Fedora tabs as his starting quarterback, week number one, going up against a solid opponent in the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, Georgia just ended their G-Day spring game. Corey was there with his former teammate, Kirby Smart, who now is the head coach of Georgia. He was also there with former teammates of his, and we'll get his take about how the team looked overall. And more importantly, the intensity and atmosphere surrounding Athens for its spring game. Now, Jacob Eason did have a solid spring game, and and he's really going to push Grayson Lambert for the starting role. And I talked to Corey last week and, and said, really, when you look at the quarterback situation overall for Georgia in the 2016 season, I really don't think, in my opinion, Kirby Smart, has room with this quarterback situation meaning for next year. Georgia fans, they're ten and three, nine and four every single year for the last ten years. They've had top ten talent and, and more importantly, that's why Mark Richt is no longer the head coach because in big ball games such as the home game last year against Alabama where they needed to make a statement the team hasn't responded in recent years in big ball games. Now, I'm the, the biggest proponent of the Georgia Bulldogs. If you watch the show, I love the dogs, love SEC football overall, love all the teams in the SEC, but I like the talent that this team has, but they need to step up in big ball games. They need to show a different type of intensity that they've shown in recent years. And I think when you look at the quarterback situation, really comes down to a guy that's really going to take the team on his shoulders and say, follow me, much in the same type of mold as Todd Gurley. Now, the one thing that Todd Gurley did 
better than anyone, and that's why he's doing it now on Sundays for the St. Louis Rams, Los Angeles Rams, wherever they are now in terms of the NFL. That's not my forte. I I stick to Saturdays. But the one thing about Todd Gurley that he brought on top of his A game was that he made those guys around him on the offense and defensive sides of the ball better, emotional. He was a team leader. That's what the Bulldogs need out of their quarterback. They have had didn't have it with a guy named Hudson Mason. And Hudson Mason performed very well, but he was a 50-year senior. He was just getting acclimated into the system. Mike Bobo brought him along, and he progressed as the season went on. But they, they didn't step up in those more key games. They didn't make a statement. Georgia needs to have that. Georgia needs to have that guy at the quarterback position and say, I'm your guy. Give me the ball when the game's on the line. Grayson Lambert didn't step up last year. Georgia, in their three losses last year to Alabama, Tennessee, and Florida, were atrocious in the passing attack. They completed 41 of 98 passes, 41%, two passing touchdowns, and seven interceptions. That's not going to get it done in the SEC East or the SEC overall, for that matter. That's not going to lead you to an SEC title. Now, Kirby Smart is given this year. He's a new guy. He understands the landscape. Top defense in college football last year in terms of what he was able to do with Alabama. Only allowed 15 points per game last year. 75 rushing yards per game, number one in the country. They gave up around 200 passing yards per game. 53 total sacks as a unit. Kirby Smart understands that. But here's the problem that Kirby Smart sort of has with the Georgia Bulldogs fan base. If he goes with Grayson Lambert this year or even Bryce Ramsey, and Georgia has a solid season, 10-3 and overall, you can then not go to Jacob Easton next year making his first career start in the 2017 season to lead you to a national championship. You know there's going to be growing pains. That's asking a lot if you redshirt Jacob Eason and don't play him this year. And you go and you get acclimated to Kirby's smart system because there is going to be a learning curve. It doesn't matter that he understands the talent. He's a new head coach. You have a new offense and new defensive coordinators. It's a learning curve. So realistically, it could have happened, yes, but realistically, can Georgia run the table this year? Probably not. So that's the problem that Bulldog fans have. Because if they sit through a, a solid territory season, and, and let's say they get that marquee victory over Florida or a top 10 opponent, uh, a rivalry game, if they still go 10-3 t- and three overall, they win their bowl game. That's what Mark Rick did for 15 years. So now... He has the problem then in the 2017 season when that expectation level is set so high in year number two, does he go to Jacob Eason then? And then that's putting a lot of pressure on the red shirt freshman or even sophomore, depending on what they do with him this year, a lot of pressure on him. So that's why I think, in my opinion, I go to Jacob Eason this year because you're given that one year by the fan base. And that's not to say I'm I'm suggesting that Georgia's going to have a mediocre season or or Georgia is just expecting an average year out of Kirby Smart. No, the the bar is set very high. 
But the bar is set at a national championship. The bar is set at winning and getting the Bulldogs over the hump. He'd do it. The only way I think he could do it with his quarterback is by throwing Jacob Easton into the mix this year. Allow him to get his feet wet. Let him to allow him to learn and understand what the SEC is all about. Trial by fire, thrown into the fire, and you're you're better off now in year number two. But we'll see how it plays out, and that's why we'll wait for Corey to get on because it's an interesting, interesting situation. New head coach, and and you can look at Urban Meyer, a man who's done it. He did it at Florida, won two national championships. Kirby Smart has not had a head coaching gig before. He under, he's learned from the best of recent years, one of the best, the best coach in Nick Saban. But he's still a new, raw head coach. So that's the problem that the Georgia fan base has from their quarterback. And when you look at Grayson Lambert, he, he threw for 12 touchdowns last year, two interceptions. Completed 63% of his passes, 1,920 yards. Played well in the system, but in big ball games, he didn't take that next step. He didn't. He he was looked like a deer in the headlights at certain times, and Bryce Ramsey as well. So that's the that's the quarterback situation. You need a winner in there, a guy who's not afraid to make mistakes, a guy who's going to learn and bounce back from mistakes in big ball games. And we'll see if Jacob Eason can do it. Now, you look at the running back situation. Sony Michelle, he's the leader. But you want to see Nick Chubb get back to uh, as close to 100% as possible. You want to see Nick Chubb there. Now, you look at Sony Michelle last year. He led the team in rushing 1,162 yards. He averaged over five yards per carry, eight touchdowns. Nick Chubb, 747 yards, 8.3 yards per carry, seven touchdowns. So we'll see how that situation transpires for the Bulldogs, and we'll wait for Corey to come on. But I'll talk about the other two games that we were we were going to break down, and that's Clemson and Auburn and Ole Miss and Florida State. Now, those are two interesting matchups, two very interesting battles. Clemson has won the last two over Auburn. They've outscored the Tigers 64 to 43 or 10 and a half points per game. Offensively, Clemson is loaded. Loaded offensively. They have more weapons than you can imagine. Deshaun Watson completed 67% of his passes, 4,104 yards, 37 passing touchdowns, 13 interceptions. And you look at Wayne Gallman overall, 1,525 yards. He averaged over five yards a carry, 13 touchdowns. They get Mike Williams back. Mike Williams didn't play all of last year. He was hurt against Appalachian State. He's got Pete back. He's got Renfro. He's got weapons. Now, defensively is where they take some hits. But two years ago is where Clemson was the number one ranked statistical defense in college football. The number one ranked statistical defense in college football. Think about that for a second. Two years ago, they allowed 261 yards per game total. And they lost eight 
starters from that team. And they came back last year, and they dominated, basically. They dominated what they had on the defensive side of the ball. When you look at the defensive statistics for Clemson, they allowed 21 points per game. They gave up 127 rushing yards per game, and they were in the area of about 186 passing yards at the secondary allowed. But when you delve deeper into the into the statistics, it's they really stepped up, and that's why they made it to the national championship game. They held opponents to under 150 yards rushing in 10 of the 15 games. And in today's college football with spread offenses and, and the ability to run on the edge in the perimeter, you think about that for a second, that's a dominating defense to hold opponents to under 150 yards rushing in 10 of their 15 ballgames. They held opponents on a conversion level of third downs to 27%. And in eight of those 15 games, they held opposing quarterbacks to 43% or less. That's incredible. That is incredible when you think about it. Credible statistic defensively. And they're going to be going up against another offense, a mediocre offense in Auburn. And I say mediocre because they averaged 27 points per game in, in 2015. But uh, the expectations for Jeremy Johnson heading into the season were astronomical. And I said it on two weeks ago, the last show I did, I told you that they lost 75% of the rushing productions out of the Tigers in 2014 with quarterback Nick Marshall and Cameron Artispain. And they lost big play wide receiver Sammy Coates. But you look at the rushing offense of Auburn over the last three years under the offensive guru Gus Malzahn. And it's getting worse and worse each year. And the rushing offense, that's what Gus Malzahn's offense is predicated on. Motion, running sideline to sideline, a tempo type of attack, but he likes to run the football. 2000. 13, the Auburn Tigers averaged 328 rushing yards per game. In 2014, it dipped to 255. Last year, it was 196. And in their six losses, they averaged 158 rushing yards per game. Nowhere near 2014 or 2013 overall. That's why the Auburn Tigers haven't had the, the success last year. Because two, two factors, when you cannot run the football effectively and you cannot stop the run like their defense could not, you're not going to win ballgames. You can't control the line of scrimmage on either the offensive or defensive lines. You can't take time off the clock when you do have a lead. And more times than not, you're playing catch-up and you become predictable. And that's what the Auburn Tigers face now. Jeremy Johnson and Sean White combined 11 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. And they were thrown into the mix and learned through the fire last year. And a big part was, was the lack of, lack of wide receiver production because Sammy Coates left. And it fell on Ricardo Lewis, who wasn't Sammy Coates, didn't have his type of size or physical attributes. 
and Duke Williams was a non-factor and, and eventually got kicked off the team. Now, the success that Auburn had in 2014 was that when you had Duke Williams and you had Sammy Coates in the lineup, secondaries couldn't double-team both of those guys. So one of them were, were going to be open at given times. Well, when you take Sammy Coates out of the lineup and you have a, a smaller route runner in terms of Ricardo Lewis, who's more of a slot back, a slot wide receiver, well, he, he doesn't really put a lot of pressure on opposing secondaries. So teams would double team Duke Williams early on, and Jeremy Johnson was forced to make reads that he could not make. And that's why the Auburn Tiger offense struggled. Now, when you look at this matchup overall, Auburn defensively gave up 26 points per game last year, and they gave up 182 rushing yards per game. They gave up about 222 yards in the secondary. But in their six losses in 2015, their six losses, they allowed 211 rushing yards per game. You're not going to win ballgames like that. Auburn's six losses came to opponents with a combined record of 59 and 19 overall. 59 and 19. So that's an interesting t- statistic when you think about it, too. They lost to a lot of good teams. They bounced back with a dominating bowl victory over Paxton Lynch in Memphis. It was a home game. The bowl game was played in Birmingham. Last time they played there, I believe, it was 98. So it was a sort of a homecoming for the Auburn Tigers. But they're going to be tested week one by the Heisman Trophy frontrunner, by a, a giant killer of a coach in Dabo Sweeney. A giant killer. And Dabo Sweeney needs to be given the credit that he deserves because he has dominated the, the competition in recent years. He almost knocked off Nick Saban last year. But you look at what Clemson has done overall. I mean, Clemson knocked off LSU, knocked off Ohio State, knocked off Oklahoma in back-to-back years, dominated Oklahoma in back-to-back years. Dominated them. That was a very good Oklahoma team led by Baker Mayfield. And you look at the weapons that they had. Joe Mixon, Perrine, Sterling Shepard. I mean, it's unbelievable when you think about it. Their defense came to play in that playoff game. Their defense came to play. And that's the one thing that Dabo Sweeney and Brett Venables did. They had that attacking defense, that old Miami Hurricanes defense, speed off the edge. They had guys like Shaq Lawson. They had guys like Kevin Dodd. And that's where Clemson is going to lose the most. They lose Mackenzie Alexander, their shutdown corner. They also lose half of the sack production from last year. Clemson had 48 total sacks, and 24 and a half of them just went out the door with Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd, who both had – Shaq Lawson had 12 and a half, Kevin Dodd had 12. They're going to be playing on Sundays this year. So can they reload again? But Dabo Sweeney? Big game head coach, great guy, met him at the Maxwell Football Club, talked to me for seven minutes. And I love a guy that believes in his team. And I love a guy that 
doesn't fear anyone. And that's what you, what you got to say. How many times do teams go out on the football field and they're defeated before they even take the field? Oh, we're playing Alabama this week. So what? So what? If you don't believe you can beat Alabama, you're not going to win the game. That's the thing. The mental aspect that Dabo, Sweeney, and Brett Venables have brought to Clemson. That's what this show is all about. We're waiting for Corey. If he doesn't come on, I'll, t- I'll take the show and run with it myself. But before I do that, I want to talk about our sponsor. It's a great sponsor, Six Shades, S-I-K-K Shades. Go to SixShades.com by Eddie Bauer, Jr. I'm telling you, summer's coming. These are great, great sunglasses. Check them out. They have all styles. If you enter promo code GO for the two, that's GO, G-O, F-O-R-T-H-E, and the number two, you get $20 off your order. I'm wearing mine tomorrow. Great, great sunglasses by Six Shades by Eddie Bauer Jr. Go to SickSikkShades.com. Check it out. And when you look at this matchup, offensively for Clemson, what they did in 2015 was ridiculous. 11 straight games over 500 yards of total offense. 11 straight. Started with the victory over G-Tech, went straight through the national championship game. Incredible. 11 of the 15, they rushed for over 200 yards in those matchups per game. And there were only two games last year where where Clemson did not complete 60% or more of their passes. In 13 of the 15 games, Clemson completed 60% or more of their passes. That's incredible. And the only two games that they didn't complete 60% or more, they won. The home game against Notre Dame, in the rain, in the slop, in Death Valley, they completed 47% of their passes. And in the playoff victory to Oklahoma, they only completed 53%. Think about that for a second. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's incredible. That's an incredible statistic. And they're going to be going up against a suspect defense. Now, the matchup that I look at in this game Clemson early on. And, again, these what I like to do now, spring is over, the spring games are over, now everybody takes a long off season. I'm breaking it down from last year's strengths and weaknesses and how, where can, and this is what the coaches do, where are we going to attack Auburn offensively? Where are we going to attack them? Well, for one, when you look at Auburn overall, they allow 26 points per game, but more importantly, they didn't have a pass rush last year. They recorded 19 sacks as a unit. That was 104th out of 127 teams. Well, guess what? If you're not going to get a pass rush on Deshaun Watson and that offensive line, week number one, you're going to have a long day because they have weapons upon weapons that they're going to throw at you. And and if if it becomes a scoring battle, Clemson will take that any day in the week with their offense going up against Auburn. And even though they're going to have new starters defensively, I think if you ask Dabo Sweeney and Brett Venables, they'll take that matchup with Sean White or Jeremy Johnson or whoever the quarterback is going to be named for Auburn week number one. 
and if you if you look at Auburn offensively going up against that defense, you say, okay, I don't think we can run on them between the tackles early on, and I know they lose God, they lose Shaq Lawson, but still, this was a defense from a scheme perspective that only allowed 127 rushing yards per game. And they lose Mackenzie Alexander. So they're going to have to attack, in my opinion, the short to intermediate passing routes underneath on dig routes if you're Auburn. The problem with that is, is that you're talking about an Auburn offense that only averaged last year around 175 passing yards per game, 173. They only had one game, Auburn, where they threw for over 300 total yards. One game. The, the loss to Ole Miss at home was the only game the offense passed for over 300 yards. So if they're going to get into a shootout with Clemson and they can't pass the football consistently, they're not going to win early on when I break this game down now. And I'm not calling for Clemson to win now, but I'm just saying when I look at this game early on, that's what I see. The one good thing about Auburn in this matchup is that their secondary did have 14 interceptions last year. And the one negative for Clemson overall is that they were minus two in turnover margin. And I think that that's going to be an area where Dabo, Sweeney, and and Brett Venables want to change in 2016 because they realized, too, that statistic came out during the playoff run that no team – since the BCS era, ever won the national championship with a net minus in turnover margin. And you look at the two teams in the first ever playoff that that were there, Oregon and, and Ohio State, they were both positive in, in turnover margin. And the two teams that lost, Alabama and Florida State in 2014 were negative. Alabama in 2014 was minus two in turnover margin. Florida State was minus six at the end of the year in 2014. The difference was, though, Alabama turned it around last year, end of the year, plus 10 in turnover margin. There's a big difference. Nick Saban and Kirby Smart got that thing turned around very, very quickly in one year because turnover margin matters. When you can force turnovers on the road, if you can win the turnover battle on the road and run the football, you're gonna, that's a recipe to win ballgames. And if you look at Alabama, the recipe, let's look at it. The game that they lost at home to Ole Miss, they lost the turnover battle five to zip. And I know people will say, well, Alabama just had a bad game. No. Ole Miss forced the tempo. Let's be honest now. Realistically, if that was Alabama that won the turnover battle five to nothing against Ole Miss, we would hear Nick Saban's defense, Kirby Smart's defense. They 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 closed the noose on the Rebels, but it was the other way around. Ole Miss had a great game plan, and the one thing that Ole Miss did, and I brought this up all last year, the only game that Alabama trailed was Ole Miss last year. They never had the lead. They fell behind 3-zip, then they fell behind 10-3, then it was 17-3, then it was 17-10 at the half. Ole Miss forced the tempo, never allowed Alabama to dictate the tempo at home. And that's the recipe of beating Alabama. You need to jump up first. You need to keep the pressure on them to make them make plays. 
when Alabama dictates the tempo and they create turnovers and they jump up early and they can wear you down, that's how they do it. You look at that game against Texas A&M. You look at that game against Georgia. They created turnovers and they scored off of those turnovers. Three interceptions returned for touchdowns against Kyle Allen and Texas A&M. Are you kidding me? You can't win a game. I mean, there was no way. And, and you know what? As as well as Alabama played defensively, at one point it was 28-20, to 20, and Texas A&M blocked the punt. I think it was Miles Garrett that got in there. And they had the ball, and they could not get close. That was the turning point at the end. As bad as Texas A&M played and as good as Alabama played, they still had an opportunity in the fourth quarter at one point, 28 to 20, where they had the football to make plays and they couldn't convert. But that's the recipe to beating Alabama. Well, in this matchup, Clemson and Auburn, Auburn's going to have to force turnovers and be able to run the, the football effectively to knock off Deshaun Watson and that offense. Because if they are able to dictate tempo early on, it's going to be a long day. It's going to be a long day. So that's what I see early on when I break down this game, Clemson and Auburn. But we'll turn our attention now to a great matchup, Florida State and Ole Miss. And we talked about it early on. I broke this game down earlier, but I'm going to break it down again because we're still about five months away five great months away from the start of the college football season. When you look at this matchup, Florida State, Sean McGuire is the guy. Now, Dalvin Cook has the surgery on his shoulder. He's going to be limited in June and July, and we're going to have to take a look as August comes. Is he healthy? Are they going to limit him? But Jock Patrick stepped in against Syracuse and played very well. He played very well. He's a big bruising between the tackles type of runner. Now, when you look at this matchup overall, Florida State struggled with Everett Golson. I don't think Everett Golson was ever comfortable in Jimbo Fisher's system last year. And I keep going back. You want to see how uncomfortable he was. Look at that first half against Louisville. He looked out of sync. That, that game was 7-6 at half. Look out at his sink in that matchup. But Florida State overall, they averaged 31 points a game last year. They rushed for 169 yards on the ground and passed for 255 yards last year against opposing defenses. And Dalvin Cook, Heisman Trophy front runner. I mean, there's a list. But I think when you break it down, the three guys that I'm looking at, it's Leonard Fournette, it's Dalvin Cook, it's Deshaun Watson, it's Christian McCaffrey, it's Baker Mayfield, those five guys right there to start. But there's so many others that we can throw in there. But Dalvin Cook last year, 1,693 yards, averaged 7.3 yards per carry, 19 touchdowns. Offensive line allowed 26 sacks. Now, Difference between Golson and McGuire. Golson was more mobile. McGuire, you know where he is. Watch the game against Houston. You know where Sean McGuire is going to be. He's going to be in the pocket. So if you could collapse the pocket on Sean McGuire, it's going to be a it could be a long day. 
But when you look at this Florida State wide receiver core, I mean, they are loaded. Kermit Whitfield, Travis Rudolph, Jesus Wilson. 174 total receptions, 2,336 yards. I mean, 16 touchdowns. That's a wide receiver core. That's weapons. And throw in Dalvin Cook in the short to intermediate passing game, wow. Wow. So they're going to be going up against Ole Miss. And Ole Miss last year gave up a lot of yards in the secondary. Ole Miss allowed 258 passing yards per game, their most since prior to 2008. Ole Miss lost three games last year. They lost to Florida, Memphis, and Arkansas. They lost those ball games by a total of 14 points per game. But in those losses, the secondary allowed 365 passing yards per game. They allowed 13 passing touchdowns and only forced one interception. In those three games, they were minus five in turnover margin. On the year, they were even in turnover margin. And they have sophomores and redshirt freshmen to replace that group. So week number one, they're going to be going up against an experienced wide receiver core, an experienced quarterback, one of the best running backs in college football who can catch the ball out of the backfield on screens, on flares out in the flat. Better be prepared in terms of formation and reading coverages week number one. So that's the matchup from Florida State offense Going up against Ole Miss's defense, that's going to be the one area that I'm going to be looking at as as this game inches closer. Now, you look at the losses that Florida State had. They lost to Georgia Tech. They lost to Clemson, and they lost to Houston. Both of those teams had one loss. Overall, they were 31-11. and 11. So, the three teams that they lost to, combined record, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Clemson, and Houston were a combined 31-11 and 11 in 2015. And they struggled. The State, in their three losses, passed for two, touch, two passing touchdowns and six interceptions. They're going to have to move the football, and they're going to have to pass against the secondary. That's the weakness. That's Again, let's look at it from a game plan perspective. Jimbo Fisher, how do we attack Ole Miss D offensively? We attack their secondary. They have redshirt freshmen and sophomores that haven't played. Let's utilize formations. Let's get our playmakers in space. Let's test that secondary early. Now, when you look at Ole Miss overall, they lost, they lost three games. They won 10 ball games by 27 points per game. So this is a, a Jekyll and Hyde team. You're not, you're not going to know what you have out of Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss and Hugh Freeze's group, but I can tell you this. They got a gunslinger in Chad Kelly, completed 65% of his passes, 4,042 yards, 31 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 10 rushing touchdowns. And you saw when he's, when he's on in that game against Oklahoma State and he steps up in big ball games, 
He dominated LSU. He dominated Alabama. And I know he got lucky on some plays, but still, the man stepped up on the road. And his teammates love him. He, he loses some playmakers. Laquan, Laquan Treadwell, gone. Jalen Walton, gone. Laquan Treadwell, he had 82 receptions last year, 1,153 yards, 11 receiving touchdowns. Walton led the team in rushing, 730 yards, five rushing touchdowns. But he's got playmakers. He spread the ball around. The question mark is the defense. So that's what you're going to look at if you're Florida State. Now, on the flip side, if you're Ole Miss and you say, how do we attack Florida State? Well, you know, what do we come up with? You look at Florida State, they gave up 17 points per game in 2015. They gave up around 149 rushing yards per game. And they gave up in the area of about 185 passing yards per game, or right around 180. And Jalen Ramsey was a big reason why, leading and spearheading that defense. But in their three losses, they could not stop the run. Florida State in those three losses gave up 221 rushing yards per game. So that's where Ole Miss will look to attack. And the other thing with Florida State, even in turnover margin, Second straight year, 2014 minus six last year, even in turnover margin. Wasn't a team that forced a lot of turnovers. So this is a a, a statistic, and, and Jimbo Fisher and the defensive staff, they're going to want to force turnovers. And that's going to be the one area. Now, the defensive front for Florida State was very active. They were very solid. They had a very good sack total last year. And they and they stepped up. And they were active. And they're going to need to do that again. Because a blue-collar team in Ole Miss doesn't matter. They're just every year in Oxford. It doesn't matter the record. Ole Miss brings its lunchbox. They're a blue-collar team. They've been that way for years. They've been that way for years when Tuberville was there and they had guys like Romero Miller at quarterback and Deuce McAllister. And, I mean, you, I can even go back when they had Paul Head at quarterback and Chris Magnum, the tight end, and Nate Wayne. Remember him, linebacker Nate Wayne? I love that guy. Rufus French, remember him, the tight end? They were a blue-collar team for years. Before Eli got there. So you know that Ole Miss is going to come to play week number one. And I'm sure Florida State, when the preseason polls come out, will be ranked ahead of Ole Miss and Chad Kelly. So you know they'll have a little bit of a chip on their back. Because Ole Miss's offense was lethal. In, in 2015, last year. I mean, they were lethal. They averaged around 42 points per game, right around 40 points per game. They rushed for 183 rushing yards per game and 334 passing yards per game. That's a balanced offense. Balanced. And that's the one thing that Florida State's going to have to 
sort of dictate the deck tempo early on, and they're going to have to assert Dalvin Cook or Jacques Patrick and, and control the line of scrimmage. Now, you look at Ole Miss, who they lose defensively, the Candici brothers, big, big holes to fill. But they're going to be there. This is going to be a great, great matchup, number one. We'll touch on another one. Notre Dame and Texas. This is an interesting battle. Notre Dame and Texas overall. It's a rematch of last year. Notre Dame won that ball game. 38-3. to I mean, that was, when I looked at last year, I really thought Charlie Strong would have that team ready week number one, but the inexperience at the quarterback position for the Texas Longhorns was a main reason why they couldn't gain traction. But defensively is where Texas needs to make some strides in 2016. I think they will. But defensively, they were atrocious. They were atrocious as a defense. They gave up 30 points per game. 30 points per game. That was their most since 2008 or before. I think it's prior to 2008, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, I'm, I didn't get a chance to check. I wrote the articles. That, that's off the top of my head. 30 point, I know they gave up 30 points per game, but was it the most prior since 2008? I believe it was, or since the 2008 season. They gave up a ton of rushing yards last year, a ton, 219 rushing yards per game. They gave up 230 passing yards per game last year. 230 passing yards per game, 219 rushing yards per game. That's not a Charlie Strong defense. And Gerard Hurd is out. He hurt himself in the in the spring, and they held him out. So we, we don't know the quarterback situation. We don't know how that's going to uh, play out. But I can tell you this, Charlie Strong will have his guys ready for this game. He will have his team ready. Now, it was. I just checked it. 2008, when they allowed 259 yards per game. So, yes, since the 2008 season, it was the highest total, 233 passing yards per game, right in that area. And they gave up 219 rushing yards per game. Do you want to go deeper? We'll go deeper. You look at their seven losses last year. In those seven losses, they gave up 33 touchdowns, 15 on the ground and 18 through the air. They gave up in those seven losses 230 rushing yards per game. 230 rushing yards per game. They got dominated last year by Notre Dame. And offensively is where they're going to want to take some strides. Now, Gerard Hurd, they're going to need him. You don't want to go with another inexperienced quarterback. They need Gerard Hurd to get healthy. You look at the offense, Charlie Strong wants to run the football. He wants to control the line of scrimmage. And he wants to rely on his defensive front seven to close the door. And they didn't have that last year because they were limited. They only averaged 145 passing yards per game. This this offense overall 
in the seven losses only averaged 20.8 points per game. That was down from their season average where they averaged around 26. They only passed in those seven losses for two touch passing touchdowns and six interceptions. When you can't stretch teams vertically, they load the box, they make you one-dimensional, and they force you to beat them over the top. And an offensive line, allowed 32 sacks last year, and that's incredible because both of their quarterbacks, Tyrone Swoops and Gerard Hurd, are mobile quarterbacks. But when you're one-dimensional and you can't make your reads in the passing attack and you have inexperienced wide receivers and no quarterback-wide receiver relationship to understand the blitz is coming, I have to cut off my route, and you're not on the same page as the quarterback, guess what? Offensive line can't protect for seven seconds. And that's the problem with the Texas Longhorns last year. Defensively, they did have one bright spot. They, they had 37 total sacks as a unit. You want to hear a crazy statistic? I'll give you a crazy statistic that I, that I broke down about Texas. And nobody does it like me in depth. I do all my own research, by the way. So I know I can talk about this off the top of my head, and, I, and mo- most of the time I do. But I wanted to double-check Texas from the 2008 or, or prior. But I will say this, in their seven losses last year, they were outscored in those games, Texas, 273 to 146. Now, the problem in 2014 was that they, they were outscored in the second half by a dominating margin. Well, in, in overall... It wasn't even close. Now, I know Cal and Oklahoma State, the kicking game got them into trouble, and they should have really – the way they were playing against Cal at home, I thought they were going to pull that game out. Devastating loss. Oklahoma State, with Mason Rudolph, you don't know, and I know they had Jared Goff, but they were really controlling the line of scrimmage and heard when he broke off that touchdown run to bring them within the time score. I really thought the momentum changed where if that game went into overtime, I really thought that Texas would have won that. And if Texas would have won that game, it might have been a different season because when Texas is on, you look at that matchup in Waco where they dominated the Baylor Bears, and you see the potential. Well, they're going to be going up against Notre Dame. They lost that ball game in South Bend 38-3. to Notre Dame last year lost three games. They lost to Clemson. They lost to Stanford, and they lost to Ohio State by a total of 20 points with 6.6 points per game. But more importantly, those teams had a combined record of 38-4 and four overall. That's a 90, 904 winning percentage. Think about that. So... This is a team in Notre Dame that has two experienced quarterbacks in the league's eye year. And Deshaun Kaiser, who they go to, I'm not sure, but I think if if it's up to me, Kaiser's my guy. He did it. He was thrown in the mix. But Brian Kelly is the man there. But what I can tell you is from a wide receiver production, they lose a lot with Will Fuller and Chris Brown. They lose a ton of receptions, 110 receptions, 1,855 yards, 18 touchdowns. That's 72% of the wide receiver production in 2015. Now, I know they have Corey Robinson back. They have other players in place. 
But think about that for a second. 110 receptions, 1,855 yards, 18 touchdowns. And let's go to the defense. Okay, yeah, they only lost three games by a total of 20 points. But this defense in Notre Dame gave up 175 rushing yards per game. Their most since prior to 2008. And when you look at their three losses, to Clemson, Stanford, and Ohio State, they couldn't stop the run. And Texas likes to run the football. Texas averaged over 200 rushing yards per game as an offense. That was their one bright spot for Charlie Strong. And he's got a dual-threat dual quarterback. So that that's what's going to be interesting. You look at their three losses, they allowed 216 rushing yards per game. 212 to Clemson, 153 to Stanford. That's where Kevin Hogan threw for four touchdowns. But they gave up 285 to Ezekiel Elliott and J.T. Barrett in the bowl game. And you want to go deeper. Notre Dame, minus nine in turnover margin. And minus nine in turnover margin on the road in 2015. Notre Dame, they only had nine interceptions as a secondary. That's their lowest total since 2011. Nine interceptions in 13 games. That's not a good statistic from a secondary perspective. They only allowed 176 passing yards per game, which sounds great. Yeah, defense was good. They were in games. They, we, we forced teams to methodically work down the field. But we only, for, we only forced nine interceptions as the defensive secondary. And we only had 24 sacks as a unit. That's not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done. That's not a team that's going to take the next step. You need to, to shore that up. And that's going to be the matchup week number one if you're Texas. Can we run the football against Notre Dame's front seven? You couldn't do it in week number one. But now Charlie Strong is preaching to his team. They averaged 224 rushing yards per game last year. That's the strength of the offense. And you saw what they were able to do against Texas Tech. Now, Texas Tech was not a top 10 defense, but still. When they're on, they pound the football. They did it against Baylor. They ran all over the Baylor Bears. And you look at Texas, they were plus 11 in turnover margin, which is, I find this amazing because. Usually, when teams are positive in turnover margin, they have successful years. It's very rare that you see a team negative in turnover margin that has a, a successful season. And there's teams that have done it. Clemson was one. But more times than not, if you take a handful of teams or, or a, a, a group of teams, 20 teams that are negative in turnover margin, and you go down the list, 75 to 85% of them have losing records. On the flip side, if they're a team is positive in turnover margin, 
and you take the same group of 20 teams, more times than not, they have a successful season. So you look at Texas overall, plus 12 in turnover, plus 11 in turnover margin, but they were plus 12 in turnover margin at home, minus one on the road. That's not going to get it done. You want Texas to be in the Big 12 race? You're going to have to win and create turnovers on the road, and they didn't do it last year. And that's a big reason when you look at that team and you look at overall, that's what they have to do to make strides this season. And I think Charlie Strong will have that team ready. Now, do they knock off Notre Dame week number one? I don't know yet. But that's how I look at this game overall. That's how I'm breaking it down overall early on. You know, and that's something that we have to take a a closer look at once position battles get solidified, once we see the health of Hurd and everyone else. Another Jekyll and Hyde team. You never know what you're going to get out of Texas Longhorns last year. When they're on, look at Oklahoma. Look at Baylor victories. When they're bad, they're bad. Week one against Notre Dame. The road loss to Iowa State, most head-scratching loss last year, couldn't stretch that Cyclones defense at all. Couldn't pass nothing. One-dimensional, bad game plan all around. And that's what we have to see as, as this season progresses. And this, this is what I love about it, though. This is why I'm chomping at the bit for the college football season. This is what it's all about. I can't wait till we really delve into it deeper and deeper and deeper. You can check me out on Ken Thompson's show, 720K Gone, Las Vegas, breaking down NFL draft. We'll be talking some college football. Interesting. I love Kenny's show. Love talking college football with him. Talk about the draft briefly. I don't think this is a deep draft of quarterbacks. And I don't think it's a particularly deep draft of running backs. I think it's a huge, deep draft of wide receivers. I could see seven, eight, ten guys making a difference on Sundays in, in, in the league. Guys that will be off the radar, per se. Tyler Boyd. Daniel Braverman from Western Michigan. There's a kid that's going to be the new Edelman. Daniel Braverman of Western Michigan. Kenny Roller from Cal is another guy. You got Dotson. You have Treadwell. And I don't care if he ran a 4-6. I don't care what his time was. The guy's a gamer. I don't care. He goes up and catches the football at its highest point. Devin Funches did not run a great 40, and he contributed to Carolina. He was a second-round pick, I know, but Laquan Treadwell is a steal. Dotson, solid player. Sterling Shepard, I mean, he's a guy like Kenny Stills. He produced – I don't think he's necessarily a big body type, and he's not the – doesn't have the top end – that's going to take the top off the defense, play in and play out. But he's a guy that's going to find seams. He's a he's a guy that's another gamer that you he'll make plays. 
Tyler Boyd, though, is one of the most polished route runners, in my opinion. I love the way he plays. He's smooth. I know he's had some issues. But he goes up and catches the football at its highest point. He's just smooth in his route running. It doesn't look like he's running fast, but I've seen him. He runs very fast. He doesn't lose a lot in terms of speed when he comes out of his cuffs. And that's a guy that you got to keep an eye out. The quarterbacks, I think there's only one guy that warrants a first-round number, and I don't think he's the best quarterback in the draft overall from what I've seen. Jared Goff is the only guy from a numbers perspective that warrants that franchise tag. But to me, he's not the guy. I haven't seen Jared Goff step up in a marquee game and pull it out. He played a cow. His best season was last year from a record perspective. Won the bowl game over Air Force. She has stepped up through six touchdowns. I got it. Carson Wentz, it's a lot different when you're at the FCS level and you walk in to Ames, Iowa, and you play in Iowa State and you play in Kansas State and Manhattan and the bullseye's not on your back. I know you're the best team in FCS and you won championships, but it's a little bit different when you're the guy. And now... 70,000 are expecting you. Now, from all the other NFL execs, this is the guy, the stature. We've seen that before, though. We've seen guys like that. Jim Druckenmiller, great college quarterback, workout warrior, had all the aesthetics, went to San Francisco, didn't cut it. Josh Freeman, 6'6". This is the guy, had a, you know, senior year under... Ron Prince at K-State and put up, you know, in a loss to Oklahoma was his best game and became the guy that everybody wanted. And now he's almost out of the league. I look at guys that have produced that can fall. Guys like Connor Cook. Guys are winner. Won a Rose Bowl. Had guys like Tony Lippett and Jeremy Langford. Lost those guys and still led his team to a playoff appearance last year. A top receiver, Aaron Burbridge, who's not a big body type of guy, great receiver, but not a big body like Tony Lippett. Cook is a gamer, led his team back from a 20-point deficit against Baylor. Led his team back against Stanford. Rose Bowl victory. That's what I look at, look at, intangibles. And I'll throw two guys out, and we can continue the conversation next week at the start of the show if you want. Brandon Allen, I know hand size. To me, it doesn't matter. Had his best year under offensive coordinator Dan Enos. And utilized his tight end, Hunter Henry. And Trevon Boykin. Escapability, mobility, Heisman Trophy Canada. I know he had off-the-field issues, but he, he'll be a steal. Michael Vick-like, and I like him. But this is what it's all about. Stay with us all season long on Go For The Two. We'll be back next week. This is what it's all about. College football is the best. Stay with us all season long. Have a great, have a great week, everyone.